0: So grateful for our leadership today, musically and in worship, and very grateful to Mark and Elaine, uh, who pivoted so graciously yesterday when I called and said, I was supposed to do the children's sermon, but can't. Uh, someone asked me yesterday, uh, knowing that Mackenzie was scheduled to preach, I was uh, viewing this, of course, as a weekend to, um, to be able to be with you without sort of speaking at you. Uh, They said, well, you know, surely you have a sermon in your back pocket you can pull out. And I went through my mental Rolodex and said, I do not have a sermon for a week like this. So what we gather around today are words that in some sense are unrefined, they're unfinished, uh, they're honest. And we're going to be anchoring our thoughts in in two excerpts of Scripture. One from the New Testament, John chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 1 through 8. And then one verse from Psalm 46, verse 1, John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. And, uh, the translation I'd like to lean on actually is captured really well in King James. When the water is troubled. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. When Jesus said to, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Psalm 46.1 sings with confidence. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Well, Mark, uh, you, you set the table perfectly. Because I the first thing I wanted to do today is simply to call out of you and out of your memory banks the associations you make when I say that one simple word, trouble. It's easy to say, it's hard to remember. Anything we would associate with trouble is hard to remember. At the most superficial level, we might say, you know, Keith, while you're at Starbucks, would you get me a venti soy latte, please, if it's not too much trouble. And in that sense, we just sort of mean trouble as an inconvenience. But I immediately go back to my own childhood and my own upbringing, where trouble meant something very specific. And I came back into this by talking about the psychological warfare my older brother would uh, perform on me. Sometimes because he was the older brother, he was always a little smaller physically. I was larger and probably stronger, but he was three years smarter always and still is. And so he might perpetrate a little mischief in my life. And when I would cry out and want to tell mom and dad, he would say to me, shh, don't tell mom, you'll get us both in trouble. Um, and I knew what trouble was in the context of mom and dad, and I did not want that, and I could not follow that train of thought, saying simply crying out and protesting uh, should not earn you getting in trouble, but he had me there, and so he could keep me quiet for so long. We knew what trouble was because it was synonymous with consequences, and very specifically probably kind of with punishment, my father, especially because of his own military upbringing and growing up in a military family, going to military school, you'd notice the refrain here, uh, grew up in a very structured environment where expectations were clearly laid out and there were uh, benefits and consequences clearly tied to these uh, to to these structures so that if you deviated from the expectations you could expect a consistent response one way or the other I do not look uh, favorably on that disciplined area of my childhood but I can appreciate it now because there was never a sort of flying off the handle or losing your cool or anything like that it was like well here's the boundary and here's where you are and this is how we're gonna get you back in bounds Um, I appreciated that. I didn't have a mature appreciation for it, but I knew what to expect. Trouble was the discipline that came when I misstepped this way or that. And we often look at our own disruptions, I think sometimes in our agonies and our pains and our aches, and we ask, what did I do to deserve this? That's the other part of the way you set the table so perfectly because our life experience sometimes presents us with hurts and with challenges that exceed our own self-awareness what did i do to be in this much trouble but the bible gives us a different view on the nature of trouble in general it's not just about this cause and effect a transactional relationship between our behavior and the outcomes in our lives trouble also names what it is we live in every day it names the state of things trouble it seems is everywhere whether it's in the prophets like nahum who says the lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble or the psalms sing over and over again psalm 31 you god have considered my trouble you have known my soul in adversities Psalm 138, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you revive me. You will stretch your hand against my enemies and your right hand will save me. And of course, what we read today, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And so, from the biblical point of view, there seems to be a way of understanding trouble as being the state of things in the world. It's an external environment. It's life events. It can be a singular trouble, or it can be a whole heap of troubles. But trouble also in the Bible describes the state of our internal landscape and our internal experience sometime. In Matthew chapter 2, Matthew tells us that Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled about the presence of this new king who was born. They were troubled and the Greek word that's translated there, troubled, is such an interesting one because it paints a picture image for us, and probably the best picture image for us is to imagine uh, your washing machine. After you close the door, there's a reason the lid locks automatically because as the cycle turns to agitation, the, the internal things just starts wiggling around and slinging water and soap and bubbles everywhere. It, it, it is... Um, it is a powerful image of agitation, of t- turbulence. In fact, our English word trouble is derived from the same Latin word that we get the word turbulence. So if you think about your own state of mind and heart sometimes, maybe thinking about that level of agitation helps you understand why Jesus would preach or sing or pray a certain blessing into his disciples' lives when he knew he was going to be gone from their sight. He says, do not let your hearts be, what? Troubled. Don't let them be afraid. So trouble is bigger than the consequences of our choices. We are in trouble whether we asked for it or not. There are many forces in our lives that are bigger than we are. And we live in this very complex interrelationship of our choices, others' choices, billions of other earth inhabitants' choices, as well as seismic forces, cosmic forces, and all the rest. And we taught children to chant when they went on a bear hunt years ago. I can't go over it, I can't go under it. Let's go through it. Today we find ourselves at a pool called Bethesda, a sacred place of sorts. We could give it a lot of names. I was talking to Kimmy Smith a couple days ago when I visited McKenzie, and I said, you know, we're reading this story uh, or I guess it was yesterday. Reading the story on Sunday, and you know the waiting room in the Duke Emergency Department feels a lot like how I imagine the pool at Bethesda. If you've had to be there lately, and I'm looking at Lisa, no, it's not your fault. We just have a lot of sick people in a big town. It's full, and teeming with need. It could be a lot of places. It could be at a bar on Main Street. It could be in that line that's queued up at the open table free store. It could be any given Sunday at Yates Baptist Church. It could definitely be this Sunday at Yates Baptist Church. Any time there's this collection of hurting people, we'll find Bethesda. And John tells us that at this Bethesda, there was a, an underground spring that would cause the pool sometimes to bubble up. It would grow turbulent in in the literal translation, the waters would become troubled. And the people believed that if they were the first one in the pool when the bubbles were bubbling, that would somehow invite the mystical presence of God's healing power. Maybe it was something like angel wings coming and brushing down. And so people with needs would gather. We don't have any testimony one way or the other about whether the first person to touch the water after the troubled began or actually healed we don't know that but we do know that many many people with many needs came to give it a try and so they came to that pool waiting for more trouble so imagine being a traveler imagine being a local there in jerusalem as you walk by the pool what would it feel like what would you see what would you hear what would you smell If you were a traveler, you might be shocked. Oh my goodness, look at this. If you were a local, you'd probably grow so callous to it, you'd turn the other way. But if you can imagine a battleground that's strewn with injured bodies, or a nursing home, and the halls are overcrowded and it's understaffed, or if you've had to make your way through the crowds of orphans in Andhra Pradesh or in Rankheat, If you could take a good look at the Yates prayer list and how we seem to accumulate without ever taking anyone off. We know what people saw when they passed by Bethesda. And we know what they would hear, just the the cacophony of endless voices and groans calling out. What did they see? They saw all of these needs. And what did they do? Imagine if they were like me, they'd probably try and get out of there as quickly as possible. Walking past, ignoring what you could ignore, pretend you don't see, pretend you don't hear. It's too much trouble to manage. And the only hope these people by the pool cling to is to roll as close as possible, to look at the trouble, wait for more trouble, and roll in. But I'm not sure the trouble is there to do us any favors. Instead, we have another story afoot in this context. There's Jesus, and he's come to Jerusalem now to be at a feast. He's alone, he's not there to teach his disciples, he's not there to draw a crowd any closer. These people need him, and so he's there. And that's the picture I want us to hang on to today. This picture of Jesus all alone making his way through, among, and with all of this suffering. I wonder what he thinks as he's going along and somebody's infected, gangrenous hand reaches out and grabs at his ankle trying to get his attention. When somebody who's clearly not bathed in months, if not years, holds out empty hands asking for a bit of money. when A little child who clearly has no parents, nearly feral, is calling out for his attention. What does Jesus feel and what does he do? What do you think? You know, I think it's worth telling this story today. If nothing else is to remember Jesus' walk and his path and his way in this place of trouble. Sometimes it's worth remembering that that's where he chooses to be. He did not have to be there. There are much cleaner and more sanitary places to reside in Jerusalem. I know there were more interesting and enjoyable activities available to him. He's there for a festival, and it's an exciting time in the Holy City, and people have made pilgrimage from miles around to be there to see God in the temple. But we see that God is there with the sick. We see that God is walking very slowly and carefully, conscientiously, not trying to step on any small toes. We see God as coming close to all of those. So close, he's not afraid to be touched by the needs and the hurts and the pains. John tells us, ultimately, that the one who sees and the one who walks into this ragged landscape of trouble is God. And we also hear good news. And this is it. This place of trouble is not his home. It is in humility that Jesus comes there. And it is in love that He lingers there. And it is in hope that He calls out to each and every one who is broken or hurting or angry or confused or concerned. And He calls them out of trouble to a new beginning. Because even as the place of trouble is not Jesus' home, It is not ours either. And so this man models for us a way out. Look to Jesus and trust him at his word and ultimately walk with him from that place of trouble to the place where Jesus leads. And so the way of Jesus is the way of his followers here, this community of faith. It's called Yates Baptist Church. We are bound together and we have come together today because we share a common grace that we have in some way received and we've all responded to the call of Jesus on our lives to look to him, to trust his word, and to follow him. And we know that where we are is not always where we will be. Sometimes we feel like we may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but we will not fear because it is Jesus, the Word of God in the flesh, who is with us, leading us through. All of this is true. And we share another fellowship. And this is the fellowship born of living in trouble. Always, I think. Always in trouble. And as we look to Jesus today, maybe we can also understand That if we are to follow him, we may not find ourselves always at a safe distance from the trouble. That we won't plant ourselves among the sanitary and pristine and untroubled places of life. It was the Apostle Paul who prayed with the believers in Corinth these words, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, Trouble is not our home. But I'll be honest with you, I think we'll be remaining here. (laughs) In the midst of a whole lot of trouble and troubles, until the good news of Jesus reaches every troubled heart, will you walk with him where it is difficult to walk? Wherever he leads. Will you go? Amen. As we come to this time of response, it is an invitation to you. This is a time that's been carved out in a sense to respond with our gifts. And in my many years as a pastor, I've come to appreciate the sacredness of this time, of sharing our gifts, recognizing uh, that for none of you, who give, it's not because it's a convenient tax deduction. It is because in some way, it represents a dream, a hope, a prayer, a step of faith, a commitment to God, and a commitment to the ministry of this church. It's a sacred time. And I invite you, as you consider what God is calling out of you to share generously and abundantly, And there is more God is calling out of you. That God is calling a new way for you to walk. Whether you have been following Jesus as a Christian for years and years and years, or you've never taken that first step, look to him, trust his word, and walk with him. And wherever that may be, let that be your response today. Amen.